Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome back, guys. Hey. Always we good have, to be here. Thank you. Been, uh, yeah. Yeah. We got uh, Joshua uh, Cutchin uh, <laughs> and uh, Timothy Ritter are back. And uh, I don't think these guys need like an introduction. Like you guys have. Always great to have you. Yeah. You guys, you guys have been like mainstays of this show. And uh, also, I want to point out this is episode 350. You guys, both of you guys were actually part of episode 250. And, and I was part of episode 200, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah 200 live in studio. I'm asking you, where's Randall where's my Carlson. smoking jacket, right? I got the, yep. the, the conspiranormal smoking jacket. Yeah, somewhere. I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it's like, like the SNL Five Timers Club. You both are definitely honorary members of the International Association of Conspiranormalists, the mystic crew and the ancient circle of strange realities i uh don those degrees upon you and i i'm not supposed to share those secret handshakes right yes okay yes. all right i'll, I'll yes. keep those under wraps <laughs> yeah. there's the ultra secret level that we don't talk about that's the 360th degree we don't we don't ever talk about the 360th degree on this show so welcome back gentlemen um last time i had both of you guys on was um talking about where the footprints in volume one and now we're talking about volume two so in volume one was about folklore primarily and this book is i guess primarily roughly about evidence yeah i mean <laughs> they're kind of arbitrary titles because for the most part i think you could probably take any chapter from either book and plop it in the other one and it would be okay but uh we did break it down there was some logic to the way we broke it down and i think josh says in the intro that volume two is kind of more experiential right. and uh th- i mean there's folklore in both there's evidence in both but uh, i think that's probably the best way to put it there's a lot of a lot more like you know, stories and, and, uh, you know, evidence in the sense of like, uh, witness experiences and so forth in volume two. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that- almost like, a, like there's more, um, there's more, not more eyewitness accounts, but you don't get those, you know, in this dusty old book from, you know, 1735, you don't get that as much in this <laughs> book. <that's for> sure. <laughs> you do do a lot of, um, talking about various cases, kind of like chronological, kind of stuff i mean 
what uh like how did you like what did you guys like agree on that was like evidence that you could use was there any kind of like uh like you know cooperation between you guys is like we really want to use this or we don't want to use this like how did you guys kind of determine all that I mean, a lot of that happened in the beginning, right, Josh? We were just kind of like, hey, here's a bunch of things that we definitely want to include. Yeah, I think that by nature of the way that this sort of came out, there are a lot of things that maybe probably deserve their own chapters if, you know, if we had a the chance to do a tin volume <laughs> where the footprint's in. Um, stuff like, you know, invisibility or being bulletproof or portals is an example in this one. But instead, we decided to nest those within other chapters to address them. Um but I think, yeah, I think it all sort of came out from the beginning. I Now that I know where we are, I would love to go back and be a fly on the wall with how we hammered this out because I can't really remember it that well. I don't know about you, Tim. Well, it, in the beginning, there was a lot more back and forth, and then we kind of separated to our own chapters, and then we came back together again and would you know add more suggestions at that point. But a lot of the, the sort of interchange and, and rules and stuff happened you know, way back when we first started this. So what, 2018 or something, you know? Yeah. Late 2018. And you know, it's just like with, with volume one, uh, there's a lot of Tim stuff in my stuff and a lot of my stuff in Tim's stuff. And we would kick stuff back and forth and say, Hey, have you thought about this? Oh my gosh. I just, you know, read about this that applies to your chapter and just uh, shoot it the other person's way. It's a lot of that. Did you originally intend for this to be two volume or did that just kind of happen along the way? No, no we... sir. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. Well, well so, so to give people a perspective, both books are kind of circa 80,000 80, 80, words. Um, uh, if anybody's wondering what that looks like, like I think my uh, Thieves in the Night is about 80,000 words. And so together, they'll be like 160,000 words, which is not unheard of. I think Graham Hancock's Supernatural is about that long. Um, but we decided it would be a little bit uh, imposing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we so we basically i mean honestly we kind of just took the chapters and there are some that needed to flow into each other right so mm -hmm. in volume one fairies needed to flow into the alien contact experience and in, in volume two mystery lights needs to flow into ufos because they're talking about so much of the same thing and, and similar similar ideas so with the exception of those chapters that kind of had to be grouped together we sort of ended up sifting and winnowing and ended up with kind of a, a set of chapters over here that are more folklore oriented and a lot of chapters over here that are more again evidence oriented so that's that's why you wind up with things like you know stick structures and these uh different uh these different issues with the tracks and the footprints and uh stuff like that disappearing evidence um but yeah it's it's a little bit of a grab bag um but the, the intention was absolutely 100 percent to uh have this as one book and we had everything written before we even made that decision. I think, right, Tim? Yeah, I was, I had, uh, some of my chapters in volume two were not in finished condition. We'll say when, when, when we finally decided to break it up in two, which was a great release for me because <laughs> I was like, okay, now I have more time to work on, on those chapters. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, things were, were in a, you know, close to finished state anyway. And everyone who got to attend the Strange Realities conference last year got a sneak preview yes. of uh, from both of you all on on two of these chapters. Uh, Tim, you did yours on disappearing evidence as it relates to Bigfoot, and Josh, you talked about uh, altered states, or I believe it was titled "The Buzz and the Beast." Yes, yeah, and that deals with a lot of of that as well. Um, which I I think that. Uh, 
maybe some of the best parts were, were in that, that strange realities conference presentation. Um, I am, I am kind of you got to see Josh play a didgeridoo. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That wow. <laughs> um, I, uh, I am kind of a little bit, I, I'm, I'm probably a little bit over proud of that because to my knowledge, nobody had ever really, really tackled the Bigfoot and altered states thing. Uh, because, you know, to be fair, you don't hear a lot of Bigfoot stories of people seeing those in trips like you do some of the other entities that we associate with, you know, alien abduction or, or fairy folklore. But although, the, you know, there are plenty of people who see like proto humanoids, but nothing that they ever say, oh, that's, that's Bigfoot. Um, but yeah. Um, so that goes into a little bit of the, you know, substances and altered, altered states of consciousness. But this, the primary uh, pivot point for the chapter is around this idea of the strange buzzing, the strange drone-like sound, uh, similar to, to a didgeridoo or tooven throat singing, and how maybe uh, that could facilitate an interaction with whatever this is. Because that buzzing sound is just, it's so common in, you know, NDEs and OBEs and fairy encounters and alien abductions and Marian apparitions. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And then of course, because altered states, that was kind of my chance to work in the, the mind speak thing. Right. Uh, Got a cool double entendre going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, am, am I that dense? You're talking about the altered the states. Buzz, the buzz. Oh, oh, the buzz. Oh, the buzz. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> So let's talk, guys. You're going to get just going down the list of the things that you guys cover in the book. Um, mystery lights. These kind of like weird lights that are seen around Bigfoot. And I think that like the normal people, the people that have like, I guess, a quote unquote normal Bigfoot sighting wouldn't think that like lights would be associated with this. And Tim, like, this is like, uh, I think your chapters, you did uh, the chapter on mystery lights, and then you also did the chapter on UFOs, which kind of like really kind of goes together in a sense, if you think about it. They were originally one chapter, but but I decided to split them in two. Yeah. I did Tim really dirty when I said, here, you take the UFO chapter. <laughs> so oh, I apologize. So what? how are these lights associated with Bigfoot? Like what, like what are some of the cases that you guys talk about and some of the weirdness like, uh, and, and Tim, you actually have like personal experience with these type of things. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen weird lights in the woods in places where people also say Bigfoot is, um, you know, I've not seen them both together, but I mean, there's great stories that, you know, the cover of the book is this kind of riff on, on these two stories, uh, um, of, Bigfoot actually holding orbs that people have seen. One was from Pennsylvania and one was, I think from the Soviet union or somewhere, uh, somewhere in, in Western Europe or, or, or so forth, uh, probably rather Eastern Europe um, of a, of a Bigfoot that walked through people's camp, just basically holding an orb. And that was kind of the, the riff on that, the cover. Cause I mean, what an image, but these orbs surround Bigfoot. I mean, they're probably the most common light phenomenon, maybe tied with glowing eyes, which I consider part of the light phenomenon too, because uh, uh, despite the fact that, you know, eye shine is a thing. And, and if you've seen a deer at night, when you're driving your car, you, you've seen eye shine and that's uh, from a tapetum lucidum. That is a reflective layer over the eyes of nocturnal animals. However, no great apes have a tapetum lucidum. And uh, no higher order primates at all do. I think like lemurs might have them and, and some monkeys like that. But no high order primates have this tapetum lucidum. So 
the fact that, you know, whether it's eye shine or eye glow, it's unusual, but many, many witnesses are insistent that it wasn't reflective, that this was uh, self-illuminating eyes and it was eye glow. So you have the eye glow and you have the, these orbs and they're, they're very commonly reported, you know, around Bigfoot, the orbs, uh, you know, maybe not as often as the eye glow, but, and maybe not at the same time as the creatures, but often people say like, Hey, I saw Bigfoot down this road. And then I was there another night and I saw orbs, you know, so things like that. Um, what the connection is, I mean, who can say, but it's absolutely fascinating that these things, you know, appear around the same time in the same place as uh, these Bigfoot creatures. And, and there are many, many accounts. I mean, many accounts of people seeing them at the same time. They see orbs and then they see the creatures or vice versa. So, I mean, you saw this at like, I think, was it the site seven places you talk about a lot in strange familiars? You got to see some of these like weird and like that's been an area that's had a lot of Bigfoot activity too. Well, it, so I keep going back and forth on this. I've seen things at site seven. I don't know what they were. Like I literally have seen things I've seen. I shine there and it was definitely shine. It was reflecting off our, our lights. It looked, it was big. They looked like, like fist size eyes if I was to estimate and uh, whatever it was turned its head and, and you know, I couldn't see anything else. I only saw the reflection of the eyes and, and then look back because James was with me that night and I was able to say, James, look, 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 look. He didn't see it. When I first shined the light on it, it um, we have this policy there that we, we don't turn our lights on until the end of the night whenever we feel like we're going to leave. And then we wait until we hear something. And then we would say, okay, well, let's leave soon. Next sound we hear, we'll kick our lights on, see if we see anything. And then we'll leave. We, usually we never see anything. Well, that night we got grunted at by something that, I mean, it was loud. It, it drove us both. Uh, there's kind of a circle you park in there. It kind of drove us both from the edge of the woods to the middle of the circle. And uh, I flipped the light on and I panned it over and I got this eye shine. Like I had just a complete reflection off the light and it was high off the ground and they were big and whatever it was seemed to turn its head. And then I'm, I'm assuming walk away and then it kind of turned back. And it, at least this is what I'm, I'm getting from the way the eyes were and looked over its shoulder at us. And that's when James got to see it. Luckily it wasn't just me because I'm, I'm pointing it out. So I've seen things like that and, and we've seen, you know, white things there that, you know, I hesitate to call them Bigfoot because I did, I've seen things there <laughs> and other people have seen things there. Uh, various things from, from uh, one woman reported seeing a gray alien in her rear view mirror there. Um, so uh, odd things people are seeing there. I, I don't know if it's big or not, but the lights are definitely there. And the first guy I told about, he got there before me and he saw the lights and he insisted they were Bigfoot eyes. Now, since then I've seen them a number of times and, and I don't think that's what they are. At least that's not the only thing they are. The lights behave uh, very differently it seems each time, but the last time we were there, we, we hiked up from the, the river. We came in from the backside and the lights came. We, we kind of went to where we thought the lights were in the woods and they came right up to us. I mean, right up to us. And I had, uh, John is, is another skeptic and he was determined to prove these lights wrong. He's kind of a forager and a, uh, you know, a, kind of a, uh, woodsman type guy. And he was, I told him about these lights. He was entirely determined to debunk them. And he was just laughing at the, they were very playful this night. They weren't scary at all. And uh, he was laughing and they came so close to us. He was on his knees trying to grab them. So I definitely don't think they're, their eyes any, or at least they weren't eyes that night. You know, I, I know how 
flimsy this sounds like i won't take a, a position but uh it's it's because of how weird this stuff is i hate to define it in any way but yeah i've seen that that's a dependable place to go to see weird lights for sure okay yeah it's uh very strange just kind of like josh do you have anything that you want to add about that like kind of like the, the weird mystery lights and also like let's talk about let's talk guys about the ufos and bigfoot because like this is like the biggest weird stuff like did like like i think like the bigfoot high weirdness really starts with like bigfoot being seen around ufos are like coming out of a ufo are ufos just being around whenever bigfoot is 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 around and i it, like the stan gordon stuff really i think is where like it starts to really just get weird stan's very fearless about reporting on that aspect of it and uh Bless him for it. I mean, that's, that's thank God for researchers like that who, who just have no uh, other ulterior motive. They just put down what the witness says. And, and that's, uh, that's very, very valuable because I was told when I got into Bigfoot that this rarely ever happens. Bigfoots are rarely seen around UFOs and vice versa. <laughs> and, and if they are, it's just a coincidence. And uh, holy moly, that chapter, I mean, part of the reason why it's like bullet point after bullet point just listing. And there's no, I, yeah. we weren't comprehensive at all. It was just, but I wanted to include a lot in there just to show people like, this is not uncommon. This is not a rarity. This is something that happens a lot. I mean, if you think how rare it is for anybody to see Bigfoot and how rare it is for anybody to see a UFO, and then look at how many reports we have of them together. Like there's something to this. Like there's, it's not nothing. It's there's something, uh, going on there you know again what did it i don't know i'm not a i'm not a ufo not i'm not a bigfoot i can't tell you exactly what it is but i can tell you people see him at the same time and it's not uncommon and of course that's like a grayscale between mysterious lights and ufos where does one turn into the other and yeah and and that was one of the the, the sort of factors for me breaking those chapters into two i kind of i kind of use the the o of ufo in the terms of object and and the stuff that went in that chapter were things that at least appeared to be objects or crafts, you know, as opposed to more sort of ephemeral, you know, orbs or, or just odd lights that people saw. Well, you know, UFOs start out as lights or wind up being lights in a lot of different cases. So it's like, eh, where do you, you know, really separate it out? Um, so that felt sort of natural for me. Um, just like, you know, there are some cases that I read that I can't differentiate. Is this, you know, an quote unquote alien abduction or does it have something to do with fairy folklore, which is why those sort of got, uh, shoved together in in volume one but um you know it's i think what i what i really like about ufos and bigfoot in terms of you know how they are situated in the book is that they are a wonderful opportunity to underscore uh again because it happens later but they're a wonderful opportunity to underscore again how the traditional flesh and blood community will do somersaults to get away from uh, the possibility that these things might be interconnected. Um, you know, the, uh, there's a, to his credit, John Green wrote a uh, introduction or a preface, Tim, I think it was introduction to the, uh, it was John Green, right? To the uh, Alberry, hmm, in, like, in Alberry book, Bigfoot, yeah, which is sort of, sort of the, the, the grandfather of this book. And he, uh, he wrote it and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, 
I would prefer to believe that if these things are being seen together, yeah, if uh, Bigfoot have been seen near UFOs, I would prefer to consider it a coincidence or to assume that the occupants of the UFO were just looking at the Sasquatch or vice versa. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was John Green. <laughs> Which is, you know, levels of, I mean, we don't even know what UFOs are. Now you're assuming that they are some sort of craft that would be here for some sort of, you know. Uh, They're Bigfoot hunting too. Yeah, Bigfoot Safari, alien Bigfoot Safari. There you go. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's, it just, it does, it does what the, what the true definition of Occam's razor is. It multiplies variables unnecessarily. Um, As a side note, that makes me think that you don't really have to deal with a flesh and blood hypothesis in the realm of research into fairies. Do you, because we've got it with aliens and Bigfoot, but are there, are there flesh and blood hypothesis fairy people? There are some people who are very new to it who kind of think that it really is describing a race of physical little people. And that sort of further confounded or further exacerbated, I guess would be a better word, by the fact that there are fairy artifacts. You know, there are fairy flags and there are fairy uh, shoes that are made of mouse leather and stuff like this, fairy chalices. <laughs> um which, you know, Patrick Harper does a better job of sort of fitting those into a, a non-materialist uh, uh, paradigm of fairy folklore than I ever could. Um, but basically, I think what he lands on is something more along the lines of uh, a reification of the fairy motif, almost like um, in a port, you know, it would be in, uh, mm -hmm. in poltergeist studies. Uh, you know, this came from nowhere, yet it, is, yet it still exists. Um Right, and that's used often in the with the um, implants, too. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not to go off on a fairy tangent here, but you know, there's that there's that tradition of the fairy blast, um, where they would like hit you with a gust of wind, and they would you would wind up with a bit of bone or a bit of uh, a small pebble or something underneath your skin. So it's a direct one to one correlation, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Where does this stuff come from? I, I don't know. Um, but I just, I know that it's weird. And I know that a lot of the, a lot of these physicalist, um, interpretations just seem to really fall short. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, when you have something like UFOs that are so mired in high strangeness, um, I, I think that it really further underscores the fact that we're dealing with something, you know, that isn't a flesh and blood creature, because I think, as I said last time, like I would love for Bigfoot to be flesh and blood. That would be so cool. I would love to see a Bigfoot someday, like in a zoo. Um, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, yeah. But just like the, in the same way with like the fairy lore leaves some or fairies leave some kind of physical trace or UFOs leave some kind of physical trace. Bigfoot, leave some kind of physical trace and you know, probably more i mean yeah. right air scat footprints you know a lot yeah yeah i think i think all of their realms of the unexplained of unexplained studies um sort of have bigfoot envy really and not just because he's what he's packing but uh <laughs> but because of but because of the sort of uh the sort of we talked about that in the last patriot episode right right <laughs> but that's definitely worth the cost of entry there <laughs> but but they have Bigfoot envy because there is such a great, robust body of evidence that's left behind, and it's studied at a level of uh, of scientific scrutiny that nothing else really has been, or at least the things that have been, like you know, uh, crash alleged crash materials or meta, meta materials or you know landing traces, 
the footprints are so much more consistent than any of that stuff. Um, consistent things keep on showing up over and over again. Things that are consistent with with primate anatomy, um, you know, mid tarsal breaks, dermal ridges, the whole nine yards. And uh, it's the footprints, I think, are the strongest bit of evidence that we are dealing with a flesh and blood primate. But at the same time, as I, you know, mentioned in volume one, uh, one of the earliest means of ghost hunting was to spread talcum powder on the floor and wait for footprints. You know, uh, handprints on a mirror are a hallmark of hauntings. And uh, to say nothing of the fact that psi phenomena is, uh, you know, non-physical, completely in your head, but seems to be able to make changes in the physical world. So you have, you know, non-physical phenomena actually being able to affect our, our, our physical reality. So that's my way of saying maybe it isn't a flesh and blood creature. Maybe, maybe it's pointing towards something a little bit different, something along the lines of, you know, maybe we can compare hair to uh, ectoplasm and, and the footprints to the ghost footprints or, you know, ghost hair as Timothy had someone talk to him about one time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I met a ghost hunter who was collecting fingerprints on mirror and putting out powder for footprints and uh, had a brush out, a brush or a comb, I forget which. And he said, I'm going to get ghost hair. And I, I started laughing. I said, buddy, we're doing the same thing. I'm just doing it in the woods. You're doing it inside. And he looked at me cross-eyed and I tried to explain it to him. Like, you know, we're doing the exact same thing. And it was, uh, I think, you know, after about the 10th time I explained it to him, he began to sort of grasp it, but uh, he wasn't going for it. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about it in the fact that, like, Bigfoot has, of any of the unexplained phenomenon that we talk about, has the most, like, welter of physical evidence. Well, yes, but <laughs> it's, it's entirely uh, inconclusive. So even when you take these footprints which the, you know, the wow. best of them, the best of them show mid tarsal breaks and dermal ridges and these wonderful things that, that, you know, primate locomotion experts like, like Meldrum, like Dr. Meldrum have looked at and said, well, you'd have to be an expert to fake this. So yeah, they're wonderful. But alongside these, we also have these three toed tracks and four toed tracks and, what Josh up to eleven toes or something like that? Like, yeah, I think I found an example with, with that many toes. And, <laughs> and, and, and two toed tracks. Two toed tracks and, and prints that are all left foot or all right foot, or prints that, you know, three prints in the middle of a two acre wide sandbar in the case of the the um the Fred Beck story, uh Devil's Canyon. Uh is it Devil's Canyon? Ape Canyon, sorry. Ape Canyon. Ape, Ape Canyon. Um so you know, even the footprints, as great as they are, are not without their problems and suggestions that, that something far weirder is going on. And the, as far as the hair goes, I mean, it's completely inconclusive. You can't get people to agree on it. For every expert you can get to say that this is some unknown primate, some other expert will say, no, 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 that's, that's perfectly explainable. It's this, it's, it's that, um, which is, you know, I, I, I really feel like that's the nature of this phenomenon, that the evidence his remains inconclusive and, and often goes missing. Well, and, and, and the cryptozoological community is the last community to talk about this in any sort of meaningful way. I mean, the consciousness community is talking about, uh, you know, 
physical reality and non-physical reality. So is the ghost community. Um, the UFO community has been doing it for a while. You know, Valet said that uh, UFOs were a direct challenge to the arbitrary dichotomy between physical reality and spiritual reality. And by the time you circle around with the cryptozoologists, they're like monkey. So, <laughs> I mean, and I, and, and and there are some there are some cryptids that stand very good chances of being proven to be exactly what they seem to be. Um, even even hominids. I mean, uh, the orang pindek. Uh, even though it has some overlap with some with some worldwide fairy folklore, I think probably stands a pretty good chance of being uh, discovered. Um, I still am very convinced that the thylacine is not extinct. Some of the video that's come out is just absolutely astounding. Um, but none of those are, you know, a nine foot tall hairy ape creature seen in. I'm going to go ahead and say literally 50 states. People used to say there weren't any in, any in Hawaii, but uh, Tim found a, a case of a uh, a wild man and who was captured in Hawaii at one point. So I'm going to go ahead and say 50 states plus you know other parts of the world. It just doesn't doesn't seem to be hanging out with uh, the coelacanth, if you know what I mean. Right, and like it's in like the UK, which you know is an island and like Hawaii is an island and like, how does it actually get, how does it actually get there? What, you know, like, especially like in a place like Hawaii, I mean, that's really wasn't attached to any other continent. And like, it, it, it doesn't, when you really look at it, it really doesn't make any sense from like a biological or even a evolutionary point of view. And how would they stay undetected in a place like that? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the UK is a, is a great example. Um, because if you look at, uh, you know, the U.S. I think has about 1.2 million square miles of woodland, and the U.K. has like a little bit over 12,000 square miles of forest. So it's just it's just does not seem like it's a and, likelihood. And, and yet, I've met people from British Bigfoot groups who insist there's a breeding population. Yeah, and, and I just why how like how. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what does it eat? You know, like what you know, and and the other thing too that was struck that that I'm just kind of thinking of right now. What struck me too was like the varying sizes of these these animals too. Like some of them were like at the low end, six feet tall, and some of them were like damn twelve feet tall. You know, it's it's up, crazy. Up to Twenty. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. You'll you'll find some of that uh, Mark Hall stuff. Uh, where he wrote a book with Lauren Coleman called true giants, where he's trying to make a case for flesh and blood giants of that are like 20 feet tall. And uh, that just doesn't, doesn't compute for me this day and age. Again, not saying that people don't, people are going to get upset and and, and invariably they do. Tim and I aren't saying that these things don't exist. We're just saying that they're not, they're not something that you can uh, bag it and tag it. I don't think. Well, if they weren't, if they just show us those giant skeletons are hiding in the Smithsonian, then we don't. Because <laughs> Bigfoot is those are those are yeah Bigfoot's a ghost and those are it's it's bones yeah Bigfoot yeah. Bigfoot built the mounds I guess Bigfoot Bigfoot is uh Bigfoot is Nephilim who built the mounds yes. mounds. built the mounds yes. yes yes that's that's a that's a train to cancel culture right there <laughs> <laughs> right right. Well, uh, Josh, you have a very ef- effective chapter about Bigfoot mimicry and the various ways that they mimic people, animals. I mean, this probably really was like the most unsettling chapter because I can yeah. only imagine like, you know, 
cry it sounded like a woman it sounds like a baby like that peanut. just like <laughs> yeah yeah peach peanut peanut yeah well i'm glad i'm glad you i'm glad you said that because i had a thought a couple of days ago is like did i really need to put that in there because like there's not a lot of really if you accept the fact that bigfoot is literally the world's best mimic in the animal kingdom there's nothing really anomalous in that in that chapter until the end but having said that like the level of, of mimicry that's ascribed to Bigfoot is just absolutely insane. I, I make a comparison to, if anyone hasn't seen it, um, the liar bird is, is, uh, has this uncanny, just crazy ability to mimic like chainsaws and the, the shutter of a camera. It's really fascinating. Um, but like it would have to, Bigfoot would have to be functioning on that sort of, of level because you have Bigfoot, imitating you know car doors and uh, forklifts backing up and train whistles to say nothing of you know people's voices and uh and um you know other animals uh you know typically people say you know the sounded like animal xyz but there was something off about it um but yeah uh then when you sort of take a look at uh the mimicry of of words and voices and names um that gets to be really really unsettling for sure um the the peanut that uh that tim was referring to um was uh the elkins creek cast which is sort of regarded as the best cast found east of the mississippi um that was collected uh, i'm trying to recall exactly when i think it was mid 90s um in pike county georgia and there was a police deputy, uh, Jim Aiken, who was called out on multiple occasions to this um, this old man's home out in the country. And he said that something was knocking on the woods, of, knocking on the uh, walls of his trailer, and actually ended up ripping up the live the uh, barn door off its hinges. And uh, eventually, livestock and dogs started disappearing. Dog food started disappearing. Yeah, ate a massive amount of dog food like yeah. in one night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, Basically, whatever this thing was, which we assume it's Bigfoot because the guy later, you know, the deputy later found this wonderful, wonderful footprint. Um, How many toes, Josh? Five. Okay. Five. You actually saw a uh, you actually saw a uh, replica of it at the uh, Expedition Bigfoot down here. Oh, OK. In Cherry, in Cherry Log, Georgia, a plug for Expedition Bigfoot, um, which, yeah. Dave Bacara is the owner and he's very much in the weird Bigfoot camp. Um, but uh, anyway, basically this, this Bigfoot had you know, sort of gallows humor here had basically whittled down all the guy's dogs until he just had a chihuahua inside. Right. And uh, he said that uh, the, the old man still wasn't convinced anything was wrong, not wrong, but anomalous, I guess, because he was still thinking that it was a, a man. He said this, you know, that son of a bitch is, is, is playing with me. He keeps on tapping on the side of the trailer and going, Peanut, Peanut, which is the name of the Chihuahua. Um, and then, you know, you find, I mean, the number of times you read about people having their dogs um, called by something else in the, in the woods, which, you know, plays into that sort of class B wilderness geist, wilderness geist idea that we t- I talked about in, uh, in volume one, but cause you technically don't see Bigfoot doing it, but these are areas that are, you know, where people have seen Bigfoot and they hear these sort of things in the forest and it's really wild. Um, so then they're kind of just making the assumption that it is Bigfoot when it could be 
I mean, because I mean, I think you guys do an effective job in the book of both books that Bigfoot is often associated with other phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah, as, as I think I told, I think, I think I said about volume one on a couple of different occasions, it's, it's almost not a book about Bigfoot, right? It's a book about viewing yeah. everything else through the lens of Bigfoot or, or vice right. versa, depending right. on the way you want to, way you want to look at it. Um, so yeah, that, that's less so the case here, but yeah, I mean, I, I have to, yeah, it's, it's, so my original Vildness Geist essay that I did um, for uh, David, David Weatherly and his Woodnox journal um, actually started out with a, an anecdote uh, about uh, planes in World War II and how uh, they were hoping to add uh, armor to the most vulnerable parts of the planes uh, that were, you know, getting shot uh, because they hoped that would, that would eliminate the, the casualties. And it wasn't until, you know, they were actually halfway through this process that there was a mathematician there who said, actually, you know, what we should be looking for is where the bullet holes aren't on these planes because the planes that return home <laughs> are the ones that haven't got shot in the areas that actually bring the planes down. Right. They actually, those are the, we, we get to see the ones that make it home. So they actually armored the spots of the plane where there weren't bullet holes on the planes that returned home. And, and they actually did, we're able to sort of cut down on casualties. And I think that that's an important lesson for how we should look at a lot of these things is that we really need to sort of check our biases and think about a lot of these assumptions that we make and how they might be sort of masking another direction to go in. And, you know, sort of the, Vild- the Vildness Geist idea is about that. And, you know, but for the, for the purposes of this, you know, when you're dealing with uh, sounds in the forest, um, you kind of have to make the assumption that a lot of these are Bigfoot because otherwise the chapter would just be forest voices, which will be fine, but we're trying to sort of nest this within the, the Bigfoot context. And a lot of these voices, you know, do have a lot of Bigfoot uh, activity associated with them. The Sierra sounds, um, which <laughs> I absolutely love the Sierra sounds. Uh, they're that great sort of samurai chatter, you know, that sort of, <laughs> that's sort of like, you know, really guttural that was that was pretty good thanks Gosh. thanks I'm, I'm 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 impressed you've obviously listened to that a lot oh yeah i practiced that in the shower are you kidding me <laughs> i'm sure you did um, <laughs> um that what i was hearing yeah <laughs> That's what he was practicing when you guys were staying at the uh, Airbnb when you you were in Nashville. Right? Bigfoot, Bigfoot power couple. Here we go. Tim, Tim was outside by the window saying peanut. Peanut. <laughs> um, but but the, 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 the point that I was sort of getting at is that, like there was a Sasquatch sighting at the Sierra camp and there was all other sorts of stuff that we'd associate with being squatchy. So now, you know, I suppose is that actually a creature? Is that, you know, this other that we talk about with wearing a a sort of mask that's projecting that or is this you know is the core of the phenomena actually a poltergeist phenomena that is also manifesting a large hairy creature as you saw in seances in some instances i don't know but they do seem to be uh it it seems like less of a stretch to to connect those to bigfoot josh the name of your next book where the bullet holes aren't where the bullet holes aren't (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Going back to the uh, relationship to pets and dogs, that, I mean that's part of that's the stuff that really terrifies me, uh, because of course they're like our best friends and they represent the most familiar uh, of nature to us. You know these friendly animals, and they just go crazy with Bigfoot. And Bigfoot, I guess, 
kills them or they disappear. People find corpses. Like, uh, talk about some of that. I mean, that stuff just, that really bothers me. There's one story where a dog was like literally ripped apart. Sure. The the famous uh, 911 call that you hear at the beginning of Sasquatch Chronicles and I don't know, a number of other people you uh, where the guy calls about the creature in his backyard. Yeah. You don't often yeah. hear it, but that, that starts with an, an earlier 911 call, like, uh, you know, some, some days, if not a week or so earlier where he says uh, the 911 caller picks up and you hear the same guy, same voice. She says, what's the problem? She says, he said, somebody just killed my dog. They threw it over my back fence. And uh, that's the, the way that starts, you know, that, that very famous 911 call that you don't often hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bigfoot doesn't like dogs. I think we can, we can generally say that with some <laughs> generality. There's- and as an, as an aside, the Mothman uh, material starts with that too. A dead, a dog running off and a dead dog. Yeah. 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 You, you know, I was going to make a pithy joke and say Bigfoot's a cat person, but <laughs> but, but honestly, if you look at the association of an, of alien big cats and Bigfoot, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Bigfoot kind of really is a cat person uh, to the yeah. extent that I'm not entirely sure that people aren't mistaking. Uh, sometimes I think that maybe these anomalous big cats and, and these Bigfoot that are seen in similar areas in the same areas are, are not possibly the same thing. But uh, yeah, Bigfoot doesn't get along well with dogs. Um uh, you know, to, to plug the Expedition Bigfoot Museum again, um, they do have the actual dog run that was uh, that was busted up by someone in North Georgia who's convinced that you know, it was Bigfoot that killed these dogs. Um, and some of the some of the stuff that happened around that seems to support that. But uh, yeah, um, you know, dog, dogs either freak out or they freeze or they refuse to go anywhere, um, and with good reason. And some people have speculated that oh, you know. Maybe the reason this is this is the really creepy thing thing really creepy idea for me is that like maybe they don't like dogs because dogs are uh, one of our warning systems. <laughs> it's like that's super creepy. Like you know, it's like you're cutting the mm-hmm. cutting the cutting the uh, the wire on the burglar alarm or something. Uh, really, really, really creepy. But yeah, there was a you know I think in uh, I believe it was during that UFO. Uh, Bigfoot flap in Pennsylvania in the seventies, there was a guy who came home and his house was somehow lit up. I believe it was lit up in red or something. And his dog was, was killed and hanging by its neck. And it was that time where he, he saw this like eight or nine foot tall Bigfoot and shot at it. And the bullets bounced off. Well, that dichotomy that, you know, dogs are our most familiar animals and Bigfoot is the most unfamiliar animal. That's what's just weird. Yeah, and and that he, you know he is our our wild man, and uh, dogs are maybe the number one example of of an animal we we tamed. You know, domestication. Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot is not going for it. He is not going to be domesticated. I mean, all of that said, there are some outlying cases which I, I can't think of specifics, but I know there there are some outlying cases. They're, they're rarities where where uh, Bigfoot is is somewhat kinder to canines. And, there was. There was one that I found for volume one um, that I'm trying to recall. Um, it was collected by, uh, I think it was Janet and Colin Board, um, that, uh, where somebody saw like a, a Bigfoot on a flatbed truck with a black dog and then 
the Bigfoot and the dog both vanished or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, at, at the time, at the time they, they made the remark like this, this is really strange because most of the cases that you find Bigfoot and dogs don't hang out. Right. Right. And a lot of people said uh, they use coyotes as kind of warning system. Now, whether that means they have some kind of, you know, pet like relationship with the coyotes, I don't know or if they're just literally traveling in the same area and, and using them as, as a warning system. And again, this is best, you know, incredible speculation on anyone's part because, how can anyone know? But I've heard so, people say that. So instead of saying you're fighting like cats and dogs, what you really should be saying <laughs> is you guys are fighting like Bigfoot and dogs. Exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and somebody's going to get ripped apart. That apparently is. Really <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about this altered state concept. We, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, this idea that Bigfoot uh, is telepathic, um, that Bigfoot can shapeshift. All this kind of different concepts that, uh, that to come into like Bigfoot, and this is where, like, it gets. I mean, it just gets really damn weird. Yeah, this is when a lot of the, I mean, like the shape shifting stories. I, I really wish I could have found more, um, but again, like, how much room do you have to use? Um, but yeah, there's this one story that was uh, collected by. Um, it's collected by a gentleman, W.J. Sheehan, who's been collecting a lot of witnesses' stories. And these uh, folks who are, again, Western Pennsylvania, something about Pennsylvania, um, where they were riding their ATVs around, like, you know, a circuit with, uh, you know, in, in the middle of the forest. And they saw this giant Bigfoot cross the trail. Um, and uh, they said, oh, it's going in here. If we go around to here, you know, if we continue down the road, we might be able to catch it as it exits the forest. And five minutes later, they're, they're where they should be, where the creature should be coming out. And instead of seeing Bigfoot, there's this guy leaning against a tree with a white T-shirt and blue jeans. And he's like the archetype of like the 50s greaser. You know, <laughs> he's wearing these white canvas boat shoes with no socks. It's muddy as hell. It's cold. Um and there's you know his his shoes are absolutely immaculate and he's just smoking but they say that the, the, there's no smoke um there's no smoke or smell from his cigarette and they ask him if he's seen anything strange he's like no i don't really see anything that odd and the two of them are sitting there talking to him and they both take their eyes off him for a second and turn back and he's gone uh, is it creepy pasta you know i don't know um but there is plenty of indigenous lore talking about uh you know, according to whatever name it might be, uh, Bigfoot, Seattle, um, you know, uh, Oma. Spookum, yeah, Oma, being a shapeshifter and being able to, at the very least, uh, turn into a human being from its hairier form, if not turn into other sorts of, of animals as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's just absolutely bizarre, um, and. You know, at the same time, there are uh, these other cases of uh, of mind speak, which kind of make me think: is there actually a shape shifting quality there, or is it the fact that whatever this other intelligence is is already in your mind and it can make you see whatever it wants to? Because, man, those mind speak cases are plentiful. You could probably do a whole book just dedicated to to Bigfoot and mind speak. Um, which if anybody knows mind speak, I don't know why they, I don't know why the community decided to call it mind speak, but it's just telepathic communication between a witness and Bigfoot. And uh, 
you know, there's tons of it. And some of it's usually very simple, like, you know, don't hurt me, I won't hurt you, um, you know, turn away, um, back away, go away, stuff like that. Or it's, um, you know, sometimes it's these environmentalist-styled messages which resonate strongly with the contactee movement and with, you know, some alien abductees and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then some of it's, you know, batshit insane stuff like, I'm from the planet Zagnut, and these are my kin, the Beezlebobs, you know? <laughs> uh, Lord Kimbolt. <laughs> yeah basically or was it what was it zorth zorth tim yeah, yeah. <laughs> zorth made the book yeah um and actually to be fair if if there zorth. is if, <laughs> if, if, we can talk about zorth a little bit if you want to but um to be fair if if there is a a an unwritten chapter that should have probably gone in these books it would be going deep down that sort of kwani lapsaritis uh Sunbow True Brother or whatever the channel Bigfoot stuff is, there could have been like a star Bigfoot chapter, but you know, I guess you kind of have to, to draw the line on this stuff somewhere. Um so there's someone that channeled Bigfoot. Yeah. Um let me let me check my notes. Um yeah, uh, there is um a, an associate of Quantum Lapsaritis um actually channeled uh I believe he channeled the the writings of this Bigfoot named Sunbow True Brother, um, who said that, "Hey, come on, um, hey, you laugh." Oh no, wait, wait, no, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm messing this up. Sunbow True Brother is the channeler. Okay, okay. okay the okay. Bigfoot that he was channeling—that's right. This is right. The Bigfoot that he was channeling was Elder Camus. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. And uh, and Bigfoot was being a, Bigfoot was being a real scold. Um, it wasn't Lord Kimbolt. Say, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Lord Kimbolt. Bigfoot was being Bigfoot was being a real hall monitor in this case, um, and 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 lecturing mankind for not being a good steward of the environment. Um, and you know that. So so, and you know, folks like Kwani have had sort of a contentious relationship with flesh and blood Bigfooters for a while. Uh, I think Rene, Rene de Hendon um, had said that he, uh, he said uh, he's had 235 or 500 by now Sasquatch encounters in his mind. I'm not interested in Sasquatch in his goddamn mind. I'm interested in Sasquatch in the bush on the ground <laughs> is what Rene de Hendon said. Um, it was like, you know, one of the four horsemen of, of, of uh, Bigfoot research back in the day. Um, so he's got some scorn. Um, I we have some mutual friends, so I I try not to talk too bad about him. And uh, you know, once you go so far with with thinking about this stuff being consciousness based, and once you start seeing the similarities of some of these messages to stuff like the contacting movement and the abductee movement, and these messages that people get when they, you know, are tripping, quite frankly. Um, and also, you know, traditional religious revelation kind of makes you treat those experiences and those, uh, those messages from Bigfoot in a different way. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that most of the mind speak quote unquote, that people get is not that, uh, not that elaborate and mythologized. It's, it's much more along the lines of like, you know, somebody's getting ready to take a picture of the Bigfoot and they hear a voice in their head that says, do that. And you won't walk out of here alive. Stuff like that. Uh. Yeah. Are the big Bigfoot experiences um, under the influence of altered states, are they generally more positive? Well, that's just it, is that there aren't a ton of Bigfoot seen in altered states. 
Right. Um, the idea with the altered states chapter was that people might be seeing it through some sort of like maybe perhaps orally AUR or, or Bigfoot is inducing altered states. Right. Right. Or whatever is behind that was whatever's behind the Bigfoot. There's the Um, fellow that was meditating that, that had the, yeah, I remember those, but there is an interesting, there is an interesting sort of thread that someone wrote me about uh, a couple weeks ago to pull on. And it was his, his contention was that um, Bigfoot tend to be meaner, the more evangelical the region is. (laughs) <laughs> and Tim just laughed and smiled so I knew it would make him laugh and smile um, basically I, what I took that to mean and, and it's kind of true is that you can sort of see the more aggressive Bigfoot tend to be in the deep south oh um, yeah and, and the uh, and the more peaceful you know um, more peaceful friendly forest giants tend to be in more secular areas um and I, I, I kind of wonder, that's a, that's a pretty interesting insight. And I wonder if that maybe corresponds to expectations regarding, you know, animism and paganism or something along those lines. I don't know. And they get so weird in Pennsylvania. Oh, it was, in it was words, such a freedom of religion state. Yeah, that, that's it. It was established is, as a freedom of religion yeah. state. So they're just really weird here. So in other words, the phenomenon reflects the, reflects the environment the people's environment and how they feel. You know, when he said that, I thought that was really interesting and I would love to look into that. Um, because I mean, you know, you also have, you also have a sighting of Bigfoot that I think I mentioned in, in volume one, uh, by an early, uh, church father of, uh, the church of Latter-day Saints who said that, uh, this big, tall, hairy, shaggy person that he met was described himself as Cain. Mm-hmm. And then he was, you know, condemned to wander the earth. So I kind of wonder if there isn't sort of a, I mean, Bigfoot's sort of mixed up in this whole Nephilim uh, mythos anyway. I mean, you know, I think kind of but by the end of the two books, we, we, you know, I don't want to speak for Josh because the true answer is neither one of us know what the hell it is really. But I think we did, you know, sort of mutually come to the idea that it is, it being Bigfoot is filtered, you know, whether in a major way or some small way through the cultural lens. Um, you know, it certainly seems to morph and change over time. And uh, there is an element of, of that sort of cultural interpretation to it. So, I mean, maybe there is something to that theory, John, you know, that, that the, uh, the, the mean evangelical Bigfoots. I mean, yeah, well, it's, it's I mean, you know, I think if you sort of a Valean psychosocial hypothesis is kind mm-hmm. of where we sort of wind up with some yeah some where, where this you've got this wild man archetype interfacing with people's expectations and whatnot so yeah well it goes back to co-creation theory which you write about in the book you know the, the greg bishop's idea and i mean like it's just going to reflect back to you what you expect Somehow. yeah and you know that's that sounds kind of highfalutin and goofy to a lot of people in, in lovecraftian but i mean the the way that your expectations shape your perception is, is obvious. I mean, if you've ever, you know, tell some, tell somebody you're going to give them, you know, a Hershey's kiss and then shove a wad of ground beef in their mouth and see how they react. You know, it's, it's like, what the heck is going on here? There's that split second where you don't know, like, you know, up is down and, and right is wrong. And if you could sort of ex- extrapolate that on a larger scale with something that's completely unknowable, I can, I can see that being a valid, uh, valid argument to make. Did that happen to you, Josh? Oh, it wasn't ground beef. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. So, t- 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I want to move to the uh, the hex signs, the stick dolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this material that you write about in the book. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, these these are found. I mean, obviously, like you know, like you've got the tree breaks and all this type of things. The tree crosses. Like, how do where did these come in? Well, I mean, the chapter is a lot of speculation, but. I'm meeting the flesh and blood Bigfoot world's own speculation as regards to these stick signs head on. We don't know what they are. To my knowledge, no one's ever seen Bigfoot building one of these stick structures. They just tend to appear in areas where Bigfoot is also seen. Uh, and you get these different forms. And, and I kind of separate the, the glyphs, which are more like symbols on the ground made out of sticks from these, um, these other stick symbols. Um, or, or stick signs or, or structures, which are kind of built up in three dimensions. So no one knows what they are. The, I've, I've heard flesh and blood people claim with, with you know, veracity that they're hunting blinds. Well, they don't hide anything. I can get in these things and I'm, they're not hiding me, much less a giant ape man. So the piss poor hunting blinds, if that's what they are, I've heard them referred to as some kind of, you know, structure, uh, you know, a, a, akin to a, uh, a, wood, a woodcraft shelter, like a like a woodcrafter would make, or bushcrafter rather would make, and uh, they're piss poor shelters too. They're they're open to the sky. I've never seen one that's that's you know convincing one that's closed and and would pr- provide any sort of real shelter from the weather. So what are they? And uh, you know they're, they're obviously, I mean not obviously, but one would think they're probably some kind of sign. Uh, I've heard you know, these vast theories from everything that they mark hunting grounds to their messages to other Bigfoot, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, no one knows this. No one knows what they are. There's an interesting documentary on Amazon um, called the, oh, I'd have to look it up, the Parallax. The Vertex? Vertex, yeah. Configure. Vertex like configuration. Correlation, correlation. Vertex correlation. Gosh, Josh, your memory is so much better than mine. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's called my I have a PDF implant. That's what it is. <laughs> and uh, they suggested that, you know, they, they've kind of lined these, uh, these different structures up over the course of many miles. And, the, and they kind of repeat a, 
a pattern of a constellation in the sky and then they line up with certain stars during the equinox and this and that. I mean, if that's true, I don't know if it's true of all the stick signs, but if it's true, it's pretty incredible. Uh, that would suggest something else is going on. But, you know, my, you know, major principle in the chapter comes from the idea that these could be something to do with religion or magic. And that, I mean, that sounds really outrageous because we're just talking about gorillas, right? But not really. I mean, the, the, the common thought that even among the flesh and blood folks is that these are some sort of uh, extant hominid, you know, some sort of existing uh, hominid race as opposed to, you know, a, a gorilla type uh, creature. So as I say in the chapter at that point, like you might as well remove the cryptozoologists out of it completely because they're looking for animals. At that point, you need a crypto anthropologist. You need somebody looking for, for humans and human an- or human ancestors or, or, you know, things related to humans. But uh, you look at Neanderthals and they seem to have some form of uh, artwork. They seem to have yeah. some form of culture, some form of music. And it looks like they had ritual. And from ritual to magic is a very, very small step. So the idea then came like, well, are these like three-dimensional sigils that these creatures are building? Uh, you know, sigil is kind of a graphic magical spell. Uh, are they three-dimensional sigils? Are these altars to like unknown Bigfoot gods? Are they some kind of fetish akin to the devil nets or bird traps that they had in season one of um, True Detective on HBO? You know, I think we just need to open up the possibilities and start looking at these as you know, maybe something beyond this marks the hunting ground. You know, it's it's uh, we need to look at it in a different way, and we need to look at it as, like I said, as like crypto anthropologists, not not cryptozoologists. I know that there is a school of thought that uh, there are remnant Neanderthals, and I mean, if that is true, big if, right? But if that's true, you know, Neanderthals really did have a religious system. I mean, it seems like gone, they yeah, they've gone into these caves and they buried their dead. Yeah. So if there's something that is going on, that's like, you know, Bigfoot has its own kind of religious system, but I don't know. I would, I mean, does it matter really if they're flesh and blood or if they, if they are some kind of spiritual entity, I mean, would they have some kind of their own kind of spiritual world? I I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, like, who can say? But uh, I think the, the point is, like, I, I'm sort of meeting speculation with with equal amounts yeah. of speculation with that. Sure. Because, you know, I've heard people declare outright, like, these X signs, these two, you know, trees formed into X signs. They're a warning as to, for humans to stay out. Well, how the hell do you know that? Like, no, you don't know that. Like, that's really like saying, like, well, that's what it means to us. So that's must be what it means to them. We don't know that. Um right. You know, so I'm like I said, I'm sort of meeting that kind of speculation head on with that chapter. Um, I just it's more an exercise of, of sort of telling people, A, let's not look at it as zoologists. Let's look at it as anthropologists. And B, let's, you know, entertain the theory that, that there could be something much more and much deeper than, than a simple like this marks the hunting ground for Zorth to know to tell, you know, <laughs> glug glug that he got a deer here, you know. Well, you've you've encountered some of this stuff, right? Uh, like tree signs and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated by them. And in fact, what one of the big things that you know, I don't remember if it was the 
the very first initial thing that got me thinking about the, the, the tree structures in this way. But I was sitting in the middle of one with a ghost box one day. I was asking all kinds of questions. And uh, the only hit I got all day long was I asked, like, what are these things for? What is this structure for? And I got a very, very clear hit where it's it, just a single word. It said spiritual. And, and that was it. The rest of the day was all static and, and nonsense, you know, just no hits at all, really. So that's the, you know, I don't know, like I said, if that was the first thing that got me thinking that, or maybe I had the seed of that idea and I influenced the ghost box. I'm totally open to that. That's fine. No less cool an idea to me than, than if it came through randomly. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by them. I've messed with them. I, I, I feel like I can tell you, like if we were in the woods together, I can point out which ones are, you know, just deadfall and snow breaks and which one are, in my opinion, actual structures because they're, they're woven together and they're pretty solid in their, in their structure. I've, I've tried to like pull on them a little bit. I don't, I don't want to destroy them. It's not, you know, it's like kind of destroying somebody else's artwork. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that, but I have like messed with them to see like, like how is this made? And they're very solid. The construction is really, really solid and, and you can't just knock them over. And there's no evidence of like tool use or anything. It's like, not that I can find, although I have seen some where whatever makes them has taken, you know, other limbs that have been cut by like say park rangers or clearing trails and they've taken these cut limbs and, and sort of woven them into these things. But as far as I can tell, for the most part, and that, you know, that's vast, you know, absolute rarity for the most part, it just seems to be breaks and deadfalls. And, and often, at least in Pennsylvania, there's often a living tree woven in to whatever these structures are. So it's like one living tree bent over and then a bunch of deadfall and branches and other stuff. Wow. But for all my fascination, I can't tell you, you know, exactly what they are. It's all speculation. And see, I think this is, if there's an area of the two books where my interest is at kind of a low and Tim's is at kind of a high, I have to say it's this. <laughs> I've, I've never seen anything. I'm, well, sorry. You could really fit inside a thimble the number of, of tree signs that I think make me go, oh, you know, that's interesting. But maybe I just don't have the patience to sit there and figure out, well, could this have fallen down here or this or that or the other? Um, that sounded like I was bagging on you, Tim. I'm sorry. You look so sad. <laughs> I'm, I'm crying over here. No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated I, I by them in the I, same I, way I'm fascinated by the lights, you know, because I, because I've seen them and I feel like I've had hands-on experience in a sense, literally with the, with the, 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 the uh, structures. I, I, I guess just, I feel like a lot of them are like people going out and LARPing cryptozoology and being like, look, look at this. The stick couldn't have been put here on this other stick, you know? sometimes i mean again i i'd like to talk to them to see how they're weaving these things together because they're very consistent from from uh you know michaud forest to hex hollow to you know site seven or wherever else i found them yeah. they're very very consistent the, the way they're built would they be difficult to do for a regular a person of regular strength or i i mean i've seen some that are so massive that they'd be like really impossible. the first one i ever found that that convinced me like okay there's something going on here was on the side of a mountain in Michaud Forest, and I was just laughing because I was like, "Like, who's bringing their, you know, their their extension ladders up on the side of the mountain to make this thing?" Because uh, they would have had to. It's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty convincing. And that had a, it was a living tree and a dead tree, and one was like balanced on it. It was really, really interesting. The other, you know, for the most part, the ones I've seen have, you know, they 
they could have been made by humans, but again, there's a consistent kind of woven construction to them that, I mean, I guess if I sat there and really, really studied it and took pictures uh, and pulled it apart, I could replicate that other places. But if you just told me like today, just from memory, go out and build one, I don't think I could. They're, they're really kind of woven together. My favorite idea of yours, Tim, is, is where you, when you brought in uh, hobo, hobo signs. <laughs> yeah, I mean... There, there's this great story that Stan Courtney has up on his blog about uh, going out to this area where this guy said he was seeing Bigfoot on trains and he yeah. was very, very skeptical and he thought like this, this guy's crazy and he goes out to this place and they're, they're hanging out by this railroad track and this train goes by and he looks up and sure enough, there's this hairy creature on one of the train cars. I think he said it was kind of sitting between two cars <laughs> with, its, with its head down between its legs just kind of resting there but uh you know and and i i believe you know he even says something along the lines of like like i know how wacky this sounds like when he when he wrote in the blog but this is what i saw and that got me well first of all we were looking for a place like where do we put this in the book like, yeah like bigfoot riding on trains and then uh finally josh was like hobos they didn't they have signs and then yeah i had a whole book already on like like hobo signs and stuff and so it, it kind of easily fit in there, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there's simply signs that that tell other Bigfoot, uh, you know, like hey, a, a, there's a dog here or or a mean man with a gun, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I've heard this thing before about about Bigfoot riding trains. They're attracted like, to the alert currents, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like extremely extremely strange. Yeah, I I love it. It was a story that stuck with me for years, and I I remember when it was just we were in the the uh, process of batting things around that we have to include, I'm like we have to include this this Bigfoot riding on train story, and we we didn't even know where to nest it for a long time, and then I think Josh was finally like, uh, stick signs, it's hobos, train riding. I was like, okay, I didn't know it was me. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, you 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 had the idea where to nest it. It wasn't me. It was it was Elder Camus, <laughs> Elder Camus. Well, you mentioned earlier, Tim, about the uh, the guy seeing Bigfoot with the dog on the flatbed the flatbed truck. That was Josh who mentioned it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's. Uh, I mean, that's about the same, really, as like riding a train. You know. Yeah, yeah, well, and you know, there's. <sighs> You know, we might be going off the rails here a little bit, but like no pun intended. The rails. There's, but th- <laughs> there, there, there are comparisons as uh, Allison's lovely, Allison's lovely wife Timothy, as Timothy's <laughs> lovely, as Timothy's <laughs> lovely wife Allison, as, as Timothy's. Hey man, uh, it's 2021, man. It can be yeah. anything you yeah. want. I mean, <laughs> as as I'm Timothy's as Timothy's <laughs> lovely wife Allison teased out of us, there is a, a parallel to be drawn between marginalized people and Bigfoot. Yeah. And hobos are usually, yeah, disheveled and hairy and yeah, yeah. and and stinky uh, and travel. You know, Bigfoot is. Uh, you always hear that. Oh, Bigfoot travels the, uh, the, uh, you know, al- along the power lines and those in those clearings, those, those pathways. And Bigfoot, uh, you know, migrates great distances, vast distances. It's kind of like yeah, the we we don't have hobos anymore, so we sort of shuffle all of our hobo mythology onto Bigfoot. <laughs> Well, I mean, as Tim has pointed out time and time again, Bigfoot was often viewed in the 19th century as wearing clothes, as like a wild man in the woods. I mean, he was much more, he was much more humanoid at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's what what uh, I kind of hinted at when I talked about the, the sort of uh, cultural interpretation of the wild man kind of changing over time. And, you know, this is hard to prove because there are modern day instances of people saying, you know, Bigfoot with a torn up flannel shirt or, or trying to fit in jeans or something. And uh, there are older reports of them being naked as well. So, you know, it's not perfect, but as someone who, who collects a lot of these, you know, reports from the 1800s, a lot of them, a lot of them mention these wild men were wearing clothes or were carrying like a rusty musket that didn't work anymore or had some trappings of humanity. There's a lot more stories from the 1800s of, of a Bigfoot scene, either building or, or around like what appears to be some kind of campfire. So, you know, <laughs> were they using fire? I, you know, I don't know. Or did our wild man change? And, you know, we might've said it last time we were on, but certainly like, if you look at the the medieval wild man, he was this this wizard of the woods. You know, he he was this wise kind of figure. And then you you know move through the ages to the 1800s, like we're saying, and and he seems to be this like this this wild man. He's he's out there in the woods. He's got a you know torn up clothes, but he's still covered in hair. Sometimes he has tools. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he uses fire. And then you move to modern day, and we have this very very wild Sasquatch that's that's completely you know uh, a savage. And it's, you know, there's something to be said that you know, as we move further away from the woods, as we grow more dependent upon technology, as we visit the wilderness less, because, you know, we've made really, really comfortable places for ourselves where the lights always stay on, never gets dark, that uh, our wild man, perhaps by necessity, has gotten wilder as we've gotten tamer. Right. Right. It's almost like he, he serves that purpose for us as like our, our own kind of like wild id. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, when, when you talk about these things, I think it's important to think like, if it's like, if it comes from us, which it may, I think you have to be clear that it comes from, from all of us. It's a, it's a collective unconscious thing. It doesn't come from, it's not my experience of what the wild man should be. It's, it's sort of the, the collective, uh, you know, unconscious idea of, of what the wild man is that, that pours into this, this entity. And again, once again, I'll say, whenever I talk about, you know, uh, collective unconscious and, and, and archetypes and, and, you know, apparitions and so forth, I think people get the idea that I'm thinking, I'm saying that they're not real. And I'm absolutely not saying that. I talk to witnesses all the time. They're deeply affected by what they've seen. They're real. They're there but they're not there in the same way like a black bear is or, or, a, you know, a coyote, I don't think. Right. Let's talk about disappearing evidence. This was probably one of the most one that I was like really excited to read in the book. Mm -hmm. And you talk about kind of like this idea of like primary relics. Yeah. And, and equating, these type of Bigfoot evidence to, you know, like the relics of saints and this whole idea of how uh, there's almost a weird supernatural aura around them. There is. And I mean, it's a really, to me, it's just an efficient way to think about it because if, if you think of like saints relics, you have you know, like a primary relic is like, you know, the finger bone of the saint or, you know, piece of the saint's hair or, or something like this. And a secondary relic is, is something the saint touched. So it could be uh, the saint's prayer book or, or, or their rosary or, or whatever the case, some, something that the, the, the saint touched. Then there's 
I think there's tertiary relics, which you know, don't really have a lot of uh, uh, sway as far as this, this uh, example goes. But in any case, we, we have these, as Josh was saying before, we have these wonderful, wonderful footprints. The best evidence we have, that the clearest thing that, that even like skeptical scientists will look at these footprints and go, wow, yes, something made that. And that's all they'll say. They'll say like something stepped there and made that footprint. Something, something did that. It's pretty incredible. But that's our best evidence. And it, re- it basically is a secondary relic. It's not the foot. We have the print of the foot. We have the place where the thing stepped. Um, primary relics, hair, scat, uh, bodies, whatever, whatever the case, uh, DNA evidence, always controversial, always, uh, incon- it, the, you can never get people to be conclusive. So it's always inconclusive. You'll always get experts to line up on either side and say it is, or it isn't real or acceptable in terms of, of science. And in the case of, uh, a lot of physical evidence, it, it goes missing unexplainably, you know, starting with those giant skeletons you mentioned earlier, surf, you know, the, 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 the Smithsonian comes in and takes them away and then they're never seen again. And, uh, and how much Bigfoot scat do they got? Right. Right. <laughs> Smithsonian always coming in and just ruining everybody's day. And, and my, you know, the point I make is it, it doesn't matter whether it's the Smithsonian who's taken away to some warehouse that, that only, you know, those, uh, who know can can see and examine this stuff, or in other cases they say the Smithsonian destroys it. It doesn't matter if it's you know black helicopters that swoop down and the you know agents come out and grab your evidence and take it away. It doesn't matter if it you know goes missing in the mail by some unknown fashion. In the case of Bigfoot bodies, it doesn't matter if the creatures come and, and grab their dead and take them back to the woods to bury them. It doesn't matter. The, the end result is it it's missing. We do not have this evidence. We cannot examine it. We cannot look at it. We cannot put it to test. It's missing evidence. It happens again and again in the Bigfoot world. And uh, I, I think, well, it happens in the paranormal, world, but Bigfoot's just another example of it. It's just, you know, the stuff goes missing. Right. So one of the ways that it goes missing is these mysterious figures that show up. And we've kind of touched on this before. Just like in the UFO mythology, you have um, the men in black, You've got an equivalent with in in Bigfoot lore. Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, the the earliest one I could find was as far as these these guys that one dude who tends to wear a plaid shirt, a uh, big biker looking guy. People say is I think I think it was 1978. It was that British woman who. Uh, had a very intense encounter with a group of Bigfoot. She was uh, taking photos. She was trying to photograph, I think, sea otters in California. And she saw this, this pod, this group, whatever a, a uh, the collective noun for Bigfoot is, um, come around this, you know, in, the, in this cove and they saw her and, and uh, she got very scared and ended up passing out. She was so scared and woke up by her car all bruised up and, and so forth and went back to her hotel. They called the police. The police show up. Then with the police come this this big guy in this flannel shirt and he starts telling her, you you saw bears and don't go back to the area and don't tell anybody you saw anything but bears. And this guy pops up again and again in, in Bigfoot lore, at least in modern Bigfoot lore, where uh, people have, especially when people have intense experiences or gather primary evidence. 
the these guys tend to show up and they suggest or outright say they're from the Department of Interior or some other government organization and uh, then tell the people they, they need to be quiet and they only saw a bear. And often they will say, you know, we'll take your evidence and they, they, they take it away with them. I guess yeah. they're the Bigfoot power couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you call this the, you call this the men, in, the men in plaid. Yeah. Is, yeah. is what you call this. But like, and one thing that you, that you point out, and I really like this is that the Patterson Gimlin film, like the, original film Mm -hmm. that we all look at that's been so hotly debated like it's missing it's my favorite example because it's so poetically beautiful this is you know supposedly the, the the best photographic evidence we have of the creature I look at it and I look at costume technology from from the time 67 I don't see how they could have made a costume that good I think it definitely shows something, um, right? You, you know that it's so. One hundred percent, you can say it's it's either a man in a suit, or it's a creature walking across the frame of that that film. Nothing else. Those are the two things it can be. So, you know, w- with everything I'm about to say here, know that that I think it shows something unusual. I think it shows you know a creature of some sort, but. You can get experts to line up on both sides, special effects experts, you know, animal locomotion experts, you name it. The people will line up on both sides. It's a hoax. It's real. It's a hoax. It's real. They there's, it's inconclusive as far as that goes. Now, this is an incredibly uh, important piece of footage. And I honestly, I, I don't, I'm not a video expert by any means, but I have read that if we had the original film, we could, determine what speed it was filmed at, which is one of the big questions. If we don't know what speed uh, Patterson filmed that day. And if we knew the speed definitively, that means we could determine the height of the creature as being either about six feet or a little taller than six feet within normal human range or something that's over seven feet tall, still within human range, but be really weird to have a seven foot plus foot tall human out there in in a monkey suit. That'd be very, very strange. So it's very important to if this original film canister exists and it would be worth, you know, millions of dollars, but no one has it. And if you're interested in, in, you know, drama and this sort of behind the scenes and the, and the quote unquote big names of Bigfoot, it's a really fascinating thing to, to research who has the rights to this film because Roger Patterson filmed it, but all these people who weren't there claimed rights to the, this film very very interesting uh but in any case this person claims a lawyer has it in their office another person claims that it's in some film vault somewhere yet another person recently went on a a podcast and claimed he had the original film canister but he won't produce it he refuses to actually produce it so in all these cases i say doesn't matter still missing so here we have perhaps the most important you know, photographic expert uh, evidence rather of Bigfoot ever taken. And it is missing. You cannot put your hands on the original. We cannot study the original film in any way. Also, there was a guy named, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who claimed he was in the suit. Um, Bob Hieronymus. Yeah. Bob Hieronymus. 
who he said, yeah, yeah, it was a suit. And, and I was the guy in the suit. And he even does, uh, you know, a little walk like Patty to prove, <laughs> to, to, you know, prove that he was the guy in the suit. Uh, you know, if this is true, it's, it's incredibly interesting information. Uh, however, he can't produce the suit and he has the number of stories. So the, I, one story was that it was in an attic somewhere. Another, I think his mom's attic. Another story was that the suit was in the, the trunk of a car somewhere. If you had this suit, you know, so the Smithsonian has Archie Bunker's chair. If you had this suit, I'm sure the Smithsonian would want this suit. You could oh, yeah. sell this suit on eBay for multiple millions of dollars. It's such an important piece of evidence and, and pop culture history. Even if it's not, you know, even if it proves the film was a fake, it's an incredibly important piece of pop culture history worth millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And this guy who says he was in the suit can't produce it. So here we have this, this wonderful piece of uh, you know, film evidence and a guy who claims he's in the suit. He can't produce the suit. People can't produce the original film canister. It's absolutely poetic as far as Bigfoot evidence goes. So what does this kind of say about like, you know, this is another thing that like you guys feel that lends credence to this weird, mysterious nature of Bigfoot. It's like, it's real. It's just, it, it's almost like the phenomenon itself is making this happen. It's like, it, it always wants to continue to be nebulous. I mean, it really feels like that. And it, this dovetails in, you know, real nicely with, with the trickster stuff that Josh wrote about mm-hmm. it's, you know, and Patrick Harper talks about this a lot too in demonic reality. It's just, it's like, we're not, it's, it's like, we're not allowed. Like we're not allowed to have definite proof. Yeah, so uh, another sort of uh, dyad of chapters that sort of had to go together were disappearing evidence and and the trickster. I thought mm-hmm. yeah. um, because if you look at sort of you know George Hansen's work, it's talking about the fact that all this doubt and this uh, self negation and this uh, real propensity to. Uh, and narrowly snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> um, that happens with uh, all these different uh, Fortiana and unknown subjects is really just, it's part of the unexplained. Um, it's that trickster archetype manifesting itself um, time and again in, in these phenomena. And it's, it's there in Bigfoot too. You know, it doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, people talk about the trickster all the time in regards of, you know, how, look at how goofy these UFO sightings are and look at how they're, playing with people's expectations look at how you know uh how like con men and uh spiritual leaders are often you know sometimes the same thing because they self-negate and and, you know in his book hansen talks about this a lot but people didn't really haven't really talked about bigfoot in that context as much um yeah we're going to go a little bit more into the hoaxes in the in 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 the in the patreon episode but yeah you, you you definitely have you definitely have a good uh, I definitely have a good point there that just like the, the somehow the phenomenon maintains its liminality and that, and that we never know. And it's almost like it wants us to keep guessing and almost like it kind of feeds upon that, that, that doubt. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. It's, it's the hardest thing to get across to people who are new to the subject, but yeah, these right. things, these things actively, and it sounds like you're making excuses, which mm-hmm 
is literally you saying these things is playing into that feedback loop again <laughs> because you're making yourself sound crazy, right? But these things literally don't want to be documented. Um, yeah. And like I said, by saying that, you sound like a kook, which further marginalizes the subject, which is that which is that trickster impulse coming right back up again. So it's just it's it's just everywhere. It's baked right in. There's nothing that the flesh and blood Bigfoot people want more than to have that scientific credibility, but it's just continuously elusive. Right. It's eluded them for over 50 years, you know? And, yeah. And the, the, I, I, you know, for the, we haven't taken as much guff as this, as, as we expected, but to those people that, that have, you know, kind of come at me, the flesh and blood folks, I, I, you know, it's easy to shut me up. Just, just roll a body into a lab, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, one of the things that, and I, we won't go too far into the hoaxes right now, but I, I do think this is a valid point. Um, so one of the things that Hanson talks about is how skeptical communities are also susceptible to the trickster archetype, looking at like, you know, those psychoptes and stuff like that. How, you know, there were these same impulses that were running through it. Um, and he drew this interesting, uh, he drew this interesting parallel uh, he compared, you know, uh, Protestantism deals in disenchantment of the world while uh, Catholicism deals with enchantment of the world, right? And if you, you can sort of amend that analogy to encompass sort of Bigfoot studies where, you know, cryptozoologists are into the disenchantment of the world and paranormalists are more into the enchantment of the world. And, you know, although cryptozoologists are always wanting to try to get they're always complaining about academia and they're always complaining about the scientific community but their goal is to uh be embraced by it their goal mm -hmm. isn't to uh, to re restructure these things their goal is to enroll themselves in it you know they don't want to they don't want to try to dismantle materialism they won't assess they want bigfoot to fall into that materials paradigm right i think it's right. an interesting, interesting point to be to have made as far as the disappearing phenomenon and, and hoaxes a little bit, is have you guys found any evidence or anything that suggests that there's like a semi-illicit trade in Bigfoot artifacts or footprints or things like that? No, but I love that, and I want Nicolas Cage to star in that movie. <laughs> Where he's well, a fine well, dealer yeah. of Bigfoot black market. <laughs> there's definitely people who, who sell casts of questionable origin. Yeah. Well, because, like, if you know me, I'm really into um, studying archaeological hoaxes, and there's definitely semi-illicit mark markets of that stuff. I just wonder if it kind of fits in the same thing, would have similar kind of collectors. Um, that'd be interesting to, to know. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, you know, instances of people, like, you know, basically selling hoax casts, essentially. Um, but yeah, I can't name names, you know. Um, do you know how much they go for a piece? I do not. I do not. Okay. All the casts I have, I've been given. I've been very, very <laughs> lucky that people have given me casts. I mean, I, you could maybe draw a parallel, uh, parallel through line with the the Cardiff Giant. Yeah. Um, from upstate New York. Um, or, yeah, I think that's where they found it. Um, as being sort of a the hoaxed giant. I think it's in Iowa now, isn't it? The Cardiff Giant? Not sure. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit of the time that we got left. I want to talk about um, the toes and the trackways. We haven't really covered this. 
the Tarantino section of the podcast. Yeah, Here we go. Just the idea that in a primate, three toes, four toes, that this is basically impossible. I think with a few exceptions, but we know that they're not the ones making it. So this is where we get into this concept that Jerome Clark, Ted Holliday, they call it kind of like the idea of like the goblin universe idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so prefacing this by saying you know, a ton of respect um, for Jerome Clark, uh, but his sort of contention was that the further east of the Mississippi or east of the Mississippi in general, you got the more these uh, you had these hairy bipeds rather than you had Bigfoot and these hairy bipeds were notable because they were often surrounded by high strangeness and often had uh, toes that didn't conform to the typical pentadactyl uh, or five toed footprint, which by the way, I still maintain would make an awesome band name. Hairy bipeds, hairy bipeds. I'm just putting, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to stick on that hill. Okay? I, I thought you meant pentadactyl. Pentadactyl footprints. I was like, that's the name of their first album, Pentadactyl. <laughs> um, but the problem is that just the data just doesn't bear itself out. Um, they're yeah, kind I, of, yeah I, go ahead, Tim. Before you, because Josh is going to have a lot more to say on this because they're his chapters, but I will say before he gets going, um, this is another one of those things that I was told by, you know, like seasoned Bigfooters um, that when I got into this, that you know, these three-toed tracks, they rarely ever happen. They're very, very rare. And they only appeared in like Pennsylvania and, and, you know, around Boggy Creek. But the ones they found in Boggy Creek, they think those might be hoaxes. The real Boggy Creek prints are five toes. And these three-toed tracks are, they're not, they're very rarely seen, totally not the case all over the country, including in the Northwest, plenty of three-toed tracks to talk about. And, and other odd numbers, but, you know, speaking of three-toed tracks specifically. So this is not something that, that rarely happens. This is something that happens everywhere all around the country, uh, you know, including Pennsylvania, but not certainly not limited to Pennsylvania. It's, it's everywhere. And sorry, Josh, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, I had to find my unmute button there. <laughs> um, so the contention is that they're just, is that they must be confined to a small population, right? That's, that's the sort of setup for this. If you're looking at the, approaching this from a material standpoint, it's like, okay, well, these are from a small population from a very specific area. They must be inbred. Um, but there are problems with that. Uh, syndactyly, uh, the fusing of uh, digits does not, um, well, number one, it's very rare. Um, but number two, or well, it's very rare in humans, I should specify. Um, you know, siamangs actually have uh, constantly have fused digits, but in human beings, it's uh, it's it's very rare, and it rarely manifests, if ever, symmetrically on both feet. Right. So you have these three-toed footprints that you're saying, well, it's because of inbreeding, and it's because they've both had the same malformation on both feet identically. And, you know, really, all these explanations are stupid because the footprints don't even look like footprints to begin with. You know, if these were if these were actual, you know, hominid footprints that looked anything like that, 
to begin with, then yeah, that might be a might be an example or an explanation rather. But these three-toed footprints, especially, they just look so damn goofy. They've got these long, elongated heels. They've got these three big toes that are comp- nearly, you know, evenly sized. They look, you know, kind of like a chicken foot. Um, or you know, with reference to uh, Tim's hex science chapter, they sort of look like that. Uh, what's the what's the rune? The El, is it Elhaz rune? Elhaz or or yeah, the, the Drudenfoot. Drudenfoot, I guess. Yeah, the, the witch's yeah, witch's foot. They look almost identical to that. And then you sort of see, you know, I think we will talk about in, in volume one. There's a story of a fairy queen who, to frighten someone off of her property, turns into an ape with turkey's feet. And you're like, that sounds a lot like a three what a three toed book Bigfoot would be. Um, so you've got that going on. So some of the other explanations for these three toed footprints are that they are alligator footprints that have slid. Well, that's fine. But how do you explain that in Pennsylvania? An alligator would be just as unlikely right. to just, find this. Just as weird. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lizard um, game. You have two toed footprints, uh, in the case of the Traverse spine gorilla, uh, they left behind uh, these footprints that look like oxen footprints. Um, that was in, uh, I believe Labrador up to our North. Um, and then you have uh, four-toed footprints, which are a little bit more explainable in terms of, you know, uh, either syndactyly or injury or another uh, another uh, syndrome known as clinodactyly, where like one toe will overlap over the other one. But again, if you're looking at two pairs of four-toed footprints, you have to assume that this malformation is identical on both feet and mirrored perfectly. And uh, that just the, the odds against that logically to start to stack up. I remember we talked about last time this uh these uh like uh illustrations of of demons from these grimoires from from way back and how they would have like different kind of animal limbs and this kind of mix up of of different creatures and and how how that was uh how that related yeah um and I think that looking at a lot of those goetic spirits. I mean, not to say that, you know, it's all demons, which is <laughs> a popular <laughs> rallying cry among some, but um, I think that cryptozoology would benefit from taking a look at those old old uh, grimoires and, and, and seeing the sort of some of the hodgepodges that we're dealing with in terms of like dog man and bat squatch and sheep squatch. All these things really do seem as if they might sort of be born out of, out of that tradition. Um, but, you know, you have these... You have these oddly known footprints and oddly, uh, sorry, not not known, but oddly numbered toes on footprints. You have footprints that, uh, you know, turn in, that, that appear as circles or, you know, they appear as uh, having like, you know, the middle toes in a cluster and just all sorts of stuff. Um, and so it's frustrating that, you know, the footprints as we've talked about earlier are like the, the best evidence that we have for the existence of this thing. But we have all these outliers that are completely treated as, uh, as anathema. You know, they're completely untouchable. And, and even with the trackways, you have weird stuff going on. Like you've, like you guys mentioned before, you've got like only the right foot or only the left foot. And then it's like, it just doesn't, none of it makes any sense. Or just a footprint, you know? And, and yeah. look, obviously some of these, some of these cases, not the ones in the book because I tried to vet them, but like some of these cases are going to be Bigfoot stepping to a harder piece of media, a harder bit, a harder part of the ground where its footprints won't, transfer over that's that happens with everything right 
but we are talking about some cases where you have a footprint in like 50 feet of mud you know um or like you know these footprints that end in the middle of a field that for 100 yards in every direction there's nothing around you um and, but, but you're surrounded by all this easily transferable media. Um, there are examples uh, very well documented of Bigfoot jumping incredible uh, distances. Uh, but when you compare those distances to the two, um, the two greatest uh, jumpers in the animal kingdom, the snow leopard and the clip springer, um, both of those max out at like a 20 to 25 foot vertical leap and a 50 foot leap horizontal. So if you're looking at anything beyond that, you're like, well, Bigfoot's got to have literally unnatural um, jumping abilities. Yeah. And when, when you, when I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of Spring Hill Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. and, and it's, you know, sometimes people, I think there was an example of a Pennsylvania Dutch young man who saw this like, Bigfoot hopping out of the woods like a kangaroo, and it and it sort of ended up possessing him, and he ended up speaking in tongues. That's a story from the book. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but you know, you don't. It's just it's not. Yeah, I mean, it does have that sort of Spring Hill Jack flavor. Um, and then you've got these, you know, these. So you've got these solitary footprints. You've got these ending trackways. You've got these trackways that are all of the left or the right foot, um, which really doesn't make it whole lot of sense with the exception of i did find one case from louisiana where a, a little girl saw a bigfoot drinking or fishing minnows out of a stream and pelted her pelted it with rocks and it hopped away on one foot mm. but you also have this this history of uh, of monopods as uh, sort of a um a folkloric creature a folkloric archetype and some of those monopods and folklore are dwarves <laughs> and some of them are women in white so you do sort of have all these things coming full circle uh back around to some of the topics that we talked about in the first uh the first book yeah it reminded me kind of like those those drawings that were done of like what uh people thought was in the new world like guys with like their face on their chest and like one like one a person with one foot and this kind of weird stuff like that yeah there's 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 a lot of similarities to that for sure i mean and you know it's um there is speaking of the new world there is a a viking saga that talks about uh i think it was eric the red's son or something um it's in the book but uh them encountering a race of uh killer uh killer humans who are on one foot as well so it's it's an interesting little connection there um you know so so you have these things are all anomalies and you know originally i thought you know the, the abruptly ending trackways would be the the extent of it but you've got all this and then on top of that you've got footprints that don't appear when they should um one of my favorite cases which uh, i really wish seth breedlove would do a uh an episode or, or a motion picture on this because it's a great case is the rochdale bigfoot uh I'm going to say Bigfoot haunting because it's just there's so much weird stuff associated with it. Um, but it would like run through bushes and wouldn't make a sound and wouldn't move the bushes and it would like run across mud and it wouldn't leave footprints. So that's, you know, another thing to examine. And uh, these, these foot, and so, so you've got, and also like, so that sort of brings up the questions of like levitating Bigfoot. You know, it, almost every person that you see will, who has been a witness will describe Bigfoot as like goose stepping and walking extremely fast and smooth as if it's not even making contact with the ground cross country um, skiing. That's what, that's what I yeah. hear. Yeah. Or, you know, Bigfoot, um, you know, 
there's a case that was from one of David Pilatus's books, I think, uh, one, of the, one of those Hoopa, the Hoopa Bigfoot um, books, where there were Bigfoot that were playing in the lake, and when they saw him, they ran away. They walked to the shore or walked, you know, away from him to the to another shoreline, and they acted as if there was no resistance in the water as they ran. So this begs a lot of a lot of questions, but it's the sort of thing where you know the the flesh and blood people will say, "Oh, well, Bigfoot has an inline gait, so it walks like a sexy supermodel, one foot in front of the other." Um, on the catwalk. Um, so, yeah, there are all these questions, and I, as much as I hate to say it, I think a lot of them can be answered by portals. Um, <laughs> and there's no, and, you know, there's plenty of cases where people see a Bigfoot phasing in and out. You know, Bigfoot disappearing might be part of that sort of portal uh, phenomena. But people will see, you know, a shimmery hole in reality and see something walk into or, or you know, walk out of it. Um, if anybody's interested, uh, I feel like we just talked about this. No, it was, I talked about it on another, um, on, uh, an upcoming episode of where did the road go? Um, where, uh, there's a great episode of banal of America, uh, with Adam Davies and uh, one of the guys from the Olympic project. And, uh, it, I sort of touch on it a little bit in book one, and I kind of probably should have included a lot more of it in there. But if anybody's wanted to listen to it, that, that episode of Banal of America is just absolutely amazing. Adam Davies went to the Olympic Project, uh, one of the one of the areas that they study, to look for Bigfoot. And if you know Adam at all in his work, um, he's very much a materialist, flesh and blood uh, uh, cryptozoologist. He's one of one of the main reasons that I say crypt, uh, that I say um, Orang Pendek might be a provable. Uh, species of primate is because of the work that Adam Davies has done. It's, it's great work, uh, which makes it even more astounding when he <laughs> very reluctantly admitted after rumors started circulating that yes, uh, during um, his time, at the Olympic project, their stay there was besieged by a portal that opened <laughs> in the middle of the night out of which these like little angry red eyed Ewoks would come out and try to harass them and they'd shine their flashlights at them. And they'd, they'd disappear. And it's just the reason it's it's I've always found that episode so affecting is because um, you have this person who has everything to lose from coming out with a story whose whose career is not based on this. And since then, it's not like he's gone full crazy or full woo or anything. He he's still doing what he was doing before, talking about footprints and being a very you know materialist, flesh and blood cryptozoologist. But he has this one outlying experience where he's like, "This is." What happened? I don't. I don't know what that means. So that's so a portal like that being seen in an area of Bigfoot uh, activity sort of raises the question. It didn't get as much attention in the book uh, in these books as it should have because it was these little like you know short little foot creatures. But uh, it does get a mention in in, in uh, volume one that sort of ties right back around here into the portal talk of volume two. Yeah. Besides the the orbs and the lights, I mean that's the other thing that's like obviously not. Uh, physical that's like the the other smoking gun i'd say yeah and you know i i kind of i probably am getting a bad reputation for saying that i really don't like the term interdimensional but as i've said before you know how many angels can dance on the head of your pen you know i feel like it's just it really is sort of moving the goalposts and it's saying well they're they must be interdimensional beings okay that's great how is that any different than saying that they come from the unconscious or they come from the other world or you know right yeah it's, 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 it's what i've been saying lately is when someone will come to me and not just about bigfoot but about you know the, the supernatural in general and they'll say what's all the jinn and i go okay all right yeah 
And then the next person will say, well, it's all fairies. And I say, yeah. Well, it is yeah, all fairies, sure. but it's okay. Yeah. And then the <laughs> next person will come and say, it's all poltergeist. And I will say, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Because, I, you know, it's just a matter of the name you put on it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. It's, it's the nomenclature. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's no, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like saying, you know. He, no, he he always wears a blue suit to work. <laughs> it's like we're the, we're the, we're the, we're the 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 cat in the office. And I'm like he always wears a blue suit. Have you seen Mister Blue Suit? No, I was, I saw Mister Green Suit today, and it's all the same guy wearing the same suit or different suits rather. I think that's a good place to end it, guys. Um, we're gonna do a little Patreon segment, so everybody that's part of the Patreon, you guys tune into that. Uh, but, uh, where can people get the book and Josh and Tim, where can people find you guys? Where the footprints end volume one and volume two are on Amazon. Uh, I believe they're available through regular channels uh, for books. So if you want to order them anywhere else that, that gets books in, you should be able to order them. Um, you can get them directly from Josh or I, if you want signed copies, they won't be signed by both of us, but, uh, cause he's in Georgia and I'm in Pennsylvania but they'll be signed by either one of us. And uh, personally, all of my books, except one, are available on Amazon. I have a book of artwork called Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other. That's available at this point directly from me. Hopefully I'll get that on Amazon eventually. But uh, right now, the only place to get that is from me or riverbendcomics.com. It's a local uh, comic, online comic shop that, that carries it as well. But... Uh, Otherwise, uh, you can find me at strangefamiliars.com. That's the website for my podcast, but any contact information there goes right to me. And I want to add real quick that this book, like the uh, first volume, is uh, has all this great artwork by Tim, including the cover, which has got Bigfoot with one of those cool orbs that they were talking about today. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you do not get that with, I mean, you get some of it, but you don't get nearly as much of it with the Kindle ebook version uh so really go out and pick up a physical book i, th- I think tim and i would both agree that we are the kind of people who always intend our books to be <laughs> read as yeah. physical books yeah um and uh you can uh find my stuff uh obviously the where the footprints and information is the same um i should be getting my copies soon <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed yeah. yeah amazon's been real slow but um i will have copies that i can sign and send um we uh, I, you can also find my other books, uh, Trojan Feast, The Brimstone Deceit, and The Thieves in the Night uh, at Amazon, or as I would encourage you to go through, you know, any other bookseller that you can, please do that. And uh, my, you can, if you're really a real masochist and want to hear more of me, you can uh, stay up to date at Joshua Cutchin, J O S H U A C U T C H I N dot com. Every Josh Cutchin interview ever is all that. <laughs> yes yes seriously i try to keep are there plans to take like a do like a do like a like a box set for the books you know like put them in like the little little book holder and that would be really cool cellophane. yeah that's actually a yeah. fantastic idea yeah. <laughs> that'd be really cool well b- because i can i can definitively say and and you know when people see this they're like uh, whenever people see a volume one or a part one series they're always like oh god what am i committing to you know this is done this is finished. <laughs> um, of course, I'm saying this, right? So this is this is where all this comes back. But there are there are no plans to milk this for a third. There are no plan. I don't think I don't think we have much left to say. Um, so this is this is 
where the footprints end, this is the work. One volumes one and two. That's the it. footprints so where the fi- footprints end. Yep, yep. The footprints have ended. Yes. And uh, I want to say that the both of these books were really, really great. You guys have done an excellent job with it. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. We always we always like to see your familiar faces. Absolutely. Glad to be here. It's always fun to do a podcast with friends. Okay, well, let's go ahead and close out the show here. Because, uh, guys, we're going to go and we're going to go ahead and do a Patreon episode with these guys. Uh, so if you are a Patreon, check that out. If you are not... Surfiel, tell them how they can become one. You can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal to begin your journey into the mysteries of conspiranormalism. The $5 level gets you access to these patron episodes every week, uh, as well as communications from the center of the order and other goodies. The uh, $10 level gets you into the mystic crew of Conspiranormal. You get to party with us as a part of our crew and every month at our monthly hangout. And $20 level, you are ascended into the realm of the ancient circle of strange realities. You get an exclusive Patreon t-shirt as well as a VIP experience at the Strange Realities Conference and other goodies. So check that out at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys, don't forget YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. Give us some subscriptions. Nobody has subscribed in a very long time. Uh, iTunes reviews, that always helps, you know, the usual podcast stuff. So, guys, uh, join us next week. We'll be back with another excellent guest on Conspiranormal. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.